Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and again, we're going to be talking about the Kingdom of God. And we're going to be doing it by looking at Exodus. Now, we did two-hour show this morning, and uh, that will be released in nine days on our regular podcasts. And uh, this will also be re- released at that time, although it, it, we're going out live. And uh, we will have all these recordings up at uh, our website, one of our websites, preparingyou.com, where we have the entire Bible and we're going through lots and lots of different studies. We did a lot on the New Testament. We've done a lot on the different prophets. And uh, so we're going through Exodus because I started listening to Jordan Peterson's and his six or seven scholars who would sit there and talk about Exodus. And I would hear them say some things like, whoa, don't they, don't any of any of them know this or do any of them know that? <laughs> and uh, so I decided to do this so that we can uh, get this out in detailed studies. And I knew Exodus 16, which is where we're at today, is is just chock full of things. It's a major turning point. Uh, everybody thinks it's the Red Sea. And, of course, the Red Sea, it was important. Or the Song of Moses. And, of course, we see the Song of Moses in Deuteronomy. And we see the Song of Moses uh, later on in uh, Revelation. And that's very important because the Song of Moses and the Song of the Lamb are the same tune. <laughs> it's the same song. So, anyway, this morning we did the first part of Exodus. We read the whole Exodus 16 all the way through. But then it's going to need all kinds of commentary. And so I started out with a section that I put on this because we're right about in the middle of Exodus. Is a theme of the Bible. There's a common theme of the Bible that you find throughout. And we went through all that this morning. So if you want to hear what that all is, you can go back and listen to our morning recordings that we will have up on this page. Uh, and a critical thing, when they were in the bondage of Egypt, where 20% of their labor belonged to the government, and the government also provided them with free bread and some sort of social welfare in time of big droughts, in time of individual personal difficulties, the government helped you out. When the Pharaoh said, I'm not going to give you any more straw, that was a withdrawal of those benefits that were offered by the Pharaoh. Uh, a major industry for those people in Goshen was the making of bricks. It wasn't the only thing they did, but it was one of the way in which one of the ways in which they could pay their taxes. Bricks could be used as a commodity money. Grain was used as a commodity money. They also had issued credit money from the temple because the temples were banks. We cover this in many other places that those temples were banks and they issued a form of coin that was actually a clay scarab with little markings on them for their value and people traded them for as if it was money as well. The gold belonged to Pharaoh. Most of the silver was out of the hands of the people. They did not have any money of true 
present value. That's an actual term you'll find if you look up the Federal Reserve. That Federal Reserve notes, according to the Federal Reserve on their website, say Federal Reserve notes have no value. They have no present value. You cannot pay a debt with a note. That This is basic fundamental banking. Anybody who studies it to any degree understands there is no value in a note. You cannot pay a debt with a note. Static versus white. We cover all this in, in law versus legal, uh, legal title, other articles that we show you. And we show you the actual law. I have a background in law. My father was an attorney. My father wrote law books. And uh, when I wrote my first book, I brought it to him and said, what do you think? Is this true? Is is this correct? And he came out after going through this book, Covenants of the Gods, and he said, and this is a guy who wrote law books, highest scorer ever on the Texas, Texas bar exam, uh, summa cum laude at Creighton University. And he read that book, Covenants of the Gods, and he said, yeah, and I was looking for his legal opinion. He said, yeah, it's true, but they're not going to like you. And then he told me a story about the first time he talked about natural law to attorneys speaking in front of the Texas Bar Association. And they didn't like, uh, they loved the speech. They thought it was great, insightful, intelligent, well done, all this stuff, but never talk about natural law to attorneys again. All your rights are in natural law. Now, it isn't hasn't always been that way with attorneys. Uh, and I can show you in history books back in 1911, 1913, where there was a transition in the legal profession where they went from the lawyer who understood natural law to the uh, and what they call statutory law versus precedent. Precedent was the law set by juries of your peers. And you'd be quoting this case and quoting that case because a jury decided a certain way. Because the jury was in the hands of the people. The law, to decide fact and law, how to interpret the law, was in the hands of the people. And we're going to see Moses set up such a system in the next few chapters. He's going to set up a system where the power to decide fact and law was in the hands of the people. Now, the law, the natural law, is not determined by statutes. We talked about this. If you go back and you study our our article on natural law, right reason, etc. The decrees of Parliament cannot change natural law. Statutes passed by the legislature... Edicts of the king cannot alter natural law. Natural law is what is. That is, it exists outside of our opinion. The existing one, I am that I am. Yad, hey, vav, hey. Which is how you spell Yahweh. He is the existing one. He is the maker of natural law. He is the designer of natural law. He is the designer of creation. He is the designer of you. That design cannot be changed by your opinion. But you can be changed because you can make choices. Because you can make choices, you can be altered. The way... By changing the environment, by changing the social structures, you can be altered. 
the people were altered during their time in Egypt. Now they were going to have another time where God was going to help facilitate them being altered again. They will be refashioned in a, in a new way. But it's not totally new. It's back to where they should have been all along. And they're going to do it through a number of processes. And But before I got into all that, although we read that in this, it, which makes reference to a number of those processes, what manna was, how the manna came. Like I said, manna was not an automatic deposit. It wasn't recharging your EBT card. You had to actually go out and collect it. Pick it up and put it in a container. Every day, you had to go out and do this. Or you weren't going to have any. Now, some people would go out and they couldn't collect as much as other people because they were old, they were infirm, they, they had one hand, they, they were partially blind. This is a little tiny thing that would appear six days a week. And I am have very little doubt that it didn't have something to do with that thing that was up in the sky that followed them for 40 years. This... This pillar of fire or pillar of smoke, depending on if you are looking at it in the day or the night. And somehow this was sent by God to perform certain tasks for these people to help bring them out of bondage. But more important than bringing them out of bondage was to bring them near the Lord, which we talked about. This whole idea of bringing them near the Lord. Because this word karab was to bring them near the Lord. The flesh pots of Egypt brought them away from the Lord. It would They actually made the word of God to none effect. Which is why Christ said, you are not to eat of the flesh pots of Egypt. Although he didn't use those words, flesh pots of Egypt. He said, you have seen the governments of the Gentiles who exercise authority one over the other. It is not to be that way with you. Those governments of the Gentiles will call themselves benefactors because they, but because they exercise authority one over the other, you are not to eat at their table. Paul says that. David says that. And we went through all kinds of quotes. If you don't, you can go back and listen to it. We won't go through all of them again. But this is key. But the other thing that is, is key is that God wants you to draw near Him, His way, and in following His way, He wants you to walk in the way of Christ, which is the way of Moses. So, in order to do that, you have to change your thinking, which is what repentance is. It's changing your thinking. And so, anyway, I, I pointed out, and there's actually several other places. I might go back and mark a lot of these other places with a definition of this word, karab, which is a word that is the root word of a word that we know as Corban, which Jesus says the Corban of the Pharisees made the word of God to none effect. What effect do we want? Korab to have. We want it to draw us near the Lord. If you are not doing what Korab means, you are not getting near the Lord. And Korab, the root of Korban, 
is a word that has to do with caring about your neighbor as much as caring about yourself. It's about setting up systems of charity to take care of the needy of your society. Uh, to love your neighbor as yourself. This is absolutely essential. But anyway, we were talking about the flesh pots and how when Jordan Peterson asked the coop around, and he actually looked like, I can't tell you for sure, he looked like he was turning towards Dennis Prager when he was asking this question. It might have been the guy next to him. It's hard to tell. It was in episode 7, and they're going to release episode 7, along with all the episodes, onto YouTube for at least four months, and you can go listen to them there. But don't listen to them without listening to us, because we're going to tell you what they didn't tell you. Uh, And They got a lot of things right, but there's a lot of things they didn't tell you. And so the flesh pot, he was told when he asked the question, and I saw genuine interest in really specifically wanting to know, what, what are these flesh pots? Because he knew there was something more important about it. But he was given a quick answer. Oh, it's just pots uh, where they cook meat and fish and stuff like that. And I went and looked up all kinds of Hebrew writers, Jewish writers, rabbis, etc. For, for hundreds of years to see how they interpreted that. And yet, that's what most of them interpret. Which to me is absolutely astonishing. Because the flesh pots of Egypt the flesh pots where the people say, let's build us a city. And we be the, yeah, you know, that it, the, build a city that is the cauldron and we be the flesh. So that, and they actually use those same words, the flesh pots, the flesh cauldron. And then later on, they talk about the people biting one another and eating one another and eating their flesh and, and taking a bite out of one another. We see this in the New Testament and the Old Testament. Because the way you do that is men who exercise authority force your neighbor to contribute to your welfare so you can have free stuff. And, and what happens when you do that, you become an Amalek. That's right, you become an Amalek because an Amalek licks the blood. That's what it means, to lick the blood. And, and they're following the god of Balaam, and which is the way of the Nicolaitan. Because that's what it tells you in the New Testament. Balaam, the way of the Balaam, the way of the Nicolaitan, they're the same. They're the same. And what what is the way? That's how they conquer the people. Balaam means people conquered in Aramaic. Nicolaitan means people conquered in Greek. How are they conquered? They're conquered the same way Polybius said they'd be conquered. The masses with an appetite for Benefits and the habit of receiving them by the rule of force. Those men who exercise authority. They will bring them into bondage. The same way Peter said. That's a covetous practice. Desiring those benefits at the expense of your neighbor. That's a covetous practice. You're going to bring yourself into bondage if you pursue such practices. Everybody has. Everybody in China. Everybody in the United States. Everybody in Canada, everybody in Mexico, everybody in Australia, they've all sought benefits from men who exercise authority, who force their neighbors to contribute to their welfare. Is there any reason on earth that you can imagine that the lockdowns worked any, could have, 
could have not worked any better without that system being in place for 70, 80, 90 years. Australia went into such a, set up such a system even before the United States. So they're a little bit farther along in that sense. But this is why the lockdowns worked. Oh, people tried to protest, but they weren't organized. They tried to get organized, but then they, they fought back because they were getting organized against you being organized. If you were doing what Christ said, if you were doing what Moses said, if you were doing what he was telling the people to do, you'd already been organized. And, but you weren't. Because you abandoned the ways of righteousness. Righteousness. So anyway, I went through Jeremiah and Isaiah and a lot of the quotes there. And these are just, these are just skimming some of the quotes. I'm sure there are better. Then I may add some more over time so that they'll be there for those of you who look. But, you know, I talked about Ezekiel. Ezekiel setting up, you know, this destruction cometh. Mischief shall come upon mischief. And rumor shall come upon, and, and, and people will seek the vision of prophets, but they won't have it. Because the law is perished. What perished? The the law, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's good, has perished amongst the modern Christians, amongst the modern Jew. I mean, they know they shouldn't covet, but they seem removed from the idea that they daily ask men who exercise authority one over the other to take away from their neighbor to provide a system of social welfare. That system of social welfare doesn't just form bonds. They form form bands. They bind the people together in a system of legal charity. So in Ezekiel 9.9 9, I said, Then saith unto me the iniquity of the house of Israel and Judah exceedingly great is exceedingly great. And the land is full of blood because of that. Because you're all biting one another. They do it in Jerusalem today. They do it in Israel today. Now I gave examples of where when they cut back, they were more prosperous. Can you imagine if they cut it out entirely? They would be invincible. But do they have the strength, the power of character to do it? Do they have the moral stamina to do it? I tell you, you probably won't without God. Without the power of God working in your heart and your mind. Which is a part of that drawing near, Karab. And the way you draw near is you set up a Corbin of Christ. Not the Corbin of the Pharisees. Not the legal charity of the Pharisees. But the Corbin of Christ that operates by faith, hope, and charity alone. Without that, you will not be free. You, your society will not be free. Your children will not be free. You have to repent of that. So Ezekiel 16.38 And I will judge thee as a woman that break wedlock and shed blood are judged and I will give thee blood in fury and jealousy. And I will also give thee into their hands and they shall throw down thine imminent places and shall break down thy high places. They shall strip thee also of thy clothes, and shall take thy fair jewels, and leave thee naked and bare, and they shall also bring up a company against thee, 
and they shall stone thee with stones, and thrust thee through with their swords. Now how exactly that comes to be, these are metaphors. They're showing you a picture of destruction that cometh, and it does come. And they shall burn thy houses with fire, and execute judgment upon thee in the sight of many women, and I will cause thee to cease from playing the harlot, and thou also shalt give no hire anymore. Playing the harlot. In Revelation, they talk about a harlot. Most of the national adultery, most of the time when it even mentions adultery in the Bible, they're talking about national adultery. They're talking about what should have been the bride of Christ, the caregiver of society, more precious than a ruby, becomes a harlot and priests whose garments are soaked with blood. These are metaphors. The priests are supposed to be those who facilitate your system of social welfare. But your system of social welfare should be a table based on love and charity and Corbin. Righteous Corbin, not unrighteous Corbin, not forced Corbin. The Pharisees had moved it from a system of free will offerings to a system of forced offerings. And they created a city of blood when they did it. And you live in a city of blood probably today. But you can change. You can repent. Think differently. Ezekiel 22.2 Now thou son of man, wilt thou judge? Wilt thou judge the bloody city? Yea, thou shalt show her all her abominations. Well, that's what I'm doing. They, they robbing widows and orphans. They're robbing everybody. From the time this show started to the time it ends, whatever money you have in the bank has decreased in value. They're robbing you. They're draining the lifeblood out of you because you created a bloody city that doesn't keep the Sabbath, that borrows against the future of you and the future of your children. Then say thou sayest, Lord God, the city sheddeth blood in the midst of it, that her time may come and maketh idols against herself, defile herself. Idols, idolatry is covetousness. Covetousness is idolatry. The New Testament tells us this. And Herod set up a system of covetous practices along with the Pharisees. They covet. It tells us that. But we also know that FDR set up a system like that. Forced offerings. We'll take care of your parents. Don't worry about it. You don't have to do aught for your parents anymore. The government will take care of them. But it's not going to happen. He goes on to say, and thou hast caused thy days to draw near, not near God. The art come even unto thy years. Therefore have I made thee a reproach unto the heathen and a mocking to all countries. We're not the home of the free and the land of the brave or vice versa. We're the land of the covetous filled with cowards who take bites out of one another so that they can have more free stuff, more benefits. 
Ezekiel 24, 6. Wherefore, thus saith the Lord God, Woe to the bloody city, to the pot, whose scum is therein, and whose scum is not gone out of it. Bring it out piece by piece. Let not lot fall upon it. And that's that's where we're at now. We see it approaching. We see that day of the wrath of God approaching. Remember, the wrath of God is the consequences of going against the law of nature. And judging that it's okay to take from your neighbor means that it will be taken from you. She poured it not upon the ground to cover it with dust that it might cause fury to come up to take vengeance. I have set her blood upon the top of a rock that it should be covered. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, Woe to the bloody city! I will even make the pile for fire great. Now again, I said this morning, Ezekiel has all kinds of prophecies, all kinds of metaphors. Some of his prophecies are are more clear than anything you would find from Nostradamus. And since I was a small boy, I saw it. When, when I read it, I said, well, he, he's not talking about Israel over there. He's talking about America. <laughs> I, I, as a small boy, I knew this. I couldn't figure out why all the priests and the, and um, scholars who were supposedly teaching me at St. Joseph's College didn't get it. But they didn't get it. And so I thought, well, there's something wrong with me. I'm seeing something else. For a long time, I was having trouble with that, where I would see one thing, and I would ask questions about it. And they'd say, oh, no, that's not it. That's what happened to Jordan Peterson. Something stirred in him, and he asked the question, what is what is the flesh pots? And somebody gave him an answer that was probably just given to them before, and it wasn't true. It wasn't true. It's the bloody city. Egypt was a bloody city, full of not only cruelty and violence, but what you would call yeast. Covetous practices, that's yeast. My son, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. Now we're in Proverbs. Proverbs 1, 10. If they say, come with us, let us lay wait for blood. Let us lurk privately for the innocent without cause. Let us swallow them up alive as the grave and whole as those that go down into the pit. We shall find all precious substance. We shall fill our houses with spoil. Cast in thy lot amongst us. Let us all have one purse. Verse 15, my son, walk not thou in the way with them. Refrain thy foot. From their path. For their feet run to evil. And make haste to shed blood. Because they want to lurk privately for gain. They want to have one purse. They want to set up a socialist state. They want to set up a communist state eventually. I mean that's how you get to a communist state. You First you set up a socialist state. They want to shed the blood of those who don't give them enough free stuff. And take for them. Take their businesses away. Take their take their money away. Take their blood away. Their life away. That's that's what you've been doing for the last 100 years in almost every country. 
getting more and more of that way. Some ran out too far that way and they pulled back the reins a little bit because they weren't going to survive. But we're working in a direction with this new economic crunch where they're they're going to go even farther and farther. Take, 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 take. The people will cry so that I don't have to do without. But they will be destroyed. But they don't see it. Hopefully, by the time we get through these studies, you'll see it. And they lay wait for their own blood. See, surely in vain the net is spread in the sight of the, any bird. But their feet have been running towards evil because they wanted to have this one purse. They wanted to lurk privately for the blood of others. But the net is this covetous practices, which is a snare and a net. This welfare that should have, this table that should have been for your welfare has become a snare and a net and a trap. And he says, surely in vain the net is spread in the sight of any bird and they lay wait for their own blood. They lurk privately for their own lives. So are the ways of everyone that is greedy of gain, which taketh away the life of the owners thereof. Wisdom crieth without. She uttereth her voice in the street. She crieth in the chief places of concourse. And on this broadcast. <laughs> in the opening of the gates. In the city she uttereth her words. Saying, how long ye simple ones will ye love simplicity. And the scorners delight in their scorning. And the fool hates knowledge. Turn you at my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit unto you. I will make known my words unto you. This is the way they've gone. This is the way that people have been going for quite some time. Proverbs 6.16 These six things doth the Lord hate. Yea, seven are an abomination unto him. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, And the heart that deviseth wicked imagination. Feet that be swift in running to mischief. False witness that speaketh lies. And he that soweth discord amongst the brethren. So he gives you this list. This is is par for the course. What's happening in America? Innocent blood is being shed. And not just the abortions. The, the hearts devise wickedness. How can I get more free stuff? How can I get my student loan forgiven? Th- this is the ways that run towards destruction. But let's go on to Hosea 6, 8. And then we'll do Nahum. But it's short. I, I put down 8 and 9. Gilead is a city of them that work iniquity. And is polluted with blood. Again, It's these systems that force the contributions of the people. They lead to this blood. And in itself, when you you force your neighbor to contribute, you know, he goes out and works all day in the hot sun. He gets caught up. He gets blisters. He makes $500. And you come along and you say, I want 200 of that. It's the blood he sweated that day that you will be taking from him. 
because you don't have the faith to gather together in faith and hope and charity. And so your society will be destroyed. That's what Samuel told Saul. And as troops of robbers wait for a man, so the company of priests murder in the way by consent, for they commit lewdness. Like I said, in the five rules for writing a constitution that we find in Deuteronomy 17.16, your leaders can do nothing to return you to the bondage of Egypt, but you can return yourself to the bondage of Egypt by consenting to the covetous practices that exercise authority one over the other. Nahum 3.1 Woe to the bloody city. That's woe to the flesh pots. It is all full of lies and robbery. The prey departeth not. Habakkuk 2.8 Because thou hast spoiled many nations, all the remnant of the people shall spoil thee because of men's blood and for the violence of the land, of the city, of all that dwell therein. Woe to him that buildeth a town with blood, establishes a city with iniquity, establishes a civil system that is based on coveting your neighbor's goods through men who exercise authority. That's establishing a city by iniquity. For the violence of Lebanon shall cover thee, and the spoil of beasts which made them afraid because of men's blood, and for the violence of the land, of the city, and of all that dwell therein. But that's, this is, like I say, it's a common theme. I could go all over the Bible and find way more uh, convincing quotes in the text that show you that this is not a good thing. Revelation fourteen twenty, like I said, the wine press was taught, trodden within the city and the blood came out of the wine press. See, when you raise the taxes and force, you know, hire another eighty thousand IRS agents or whatever agents you have in whatever country you're in, you're you're pressing the people. You're you're taking away the liberty of choice from the people. And your liberty of choice will be taken away in turn. And and the blood will rise up even to the horse's bridles by the space of a thousand and six hundred furlongs. So this is this is what we need to understand is this way of righteousness and the way of unrighteousness. And also, you know, I, I pointed out in this text the word translated when we did eat, meaning by the flesh pots, is from the word akal, elef kaf uh, lamad. Actually, you can spell kaf a couple of different ways. I may correct that. <laughs> but anyway, but appears as bit elef Kaf, Lamad, Nun, Vav. That's the actual word that we see there. And I show you that here in the text. It's not the three-letter root word. But it's a, a much more complex word that is found there. With this extra it at the beginning. Because it's you're brought into the house of coveters. Because you yourself covet. And 
the definition is to eat or devour. You know, as a verb, it it means to eat or devour. And be careful you do not bite one another, lest ye be devoured. Be careful you do not devour one another, lest ye be devoured. So anyway, now theoretically we can go on to verse 3. When we sat by is the key word, yashab, yad shin biet, which can mean sit or remain or dwell. But here it is seen as besibitinu, which includes this biet shin biet, the house within a house. You know, one of the things that when I explain how trust works, that you create trust and all this stuff, and all these audios are available at Preparing You, when I explain all that, when I say a trust within a trust cannot stand, well, house within a house cannot stand. One house must take precedent over the other. So, you and, and this is what they talk about, you know, where they will take the fathers of the earth and they'll cut the heads off. The fathers of... Uh, of your families, their heads are already cut off. They don't have power. Their families can be taken away from them and they can be turned into abject slaves providing for their family but not receiving any of the respect or benefit of their family. Very important that women respect their husbands. Very important. It brings about destruction when they don't. Because it brings about destruction to their own soul and heart. It's not the way it should be. And that's why there are supposedly commandments that talk about this. You know, lessons of life that God is telling about. But if the elders enter into other families because they neglect their responsibility in their family, they will no longer be the head of the family. The state will be the head of the family. And, And we go through this actually in the laws, in the codes of the United States. They say that. That the state is head over the family. Not a natural family under natural law, but a family under statutory law. Which is why one of the first chapters of the book Covenants of the Gods is holy matrimony versus marriage. Referring to holy matrimony versus the act of marriage, which is not marrying each other, but giving in marriage. Which, who is, you know, the, you know marriage in the state is a three-party contract. And and marry, married under the eyes of God is really a three-party contract. But the third party is God. And you don't... It isn't... Uh, holy matrimony isn't common law. It may be treated as common law by the government because they will look at it and say that you don't have a statutory marriage, so therefore you may have, depending on what state you're in, you may have a common law marriage. But you don't have holy matrimony unless you have holy matrimony. You have to be married in the eyes of God. And the product of such a union will be much different than the product of what I see in a lot of common law marriages. Which are just men trying to get out of their responsibilities. And often end up being sociopaths controlling their spouse. I won't say wife, but their partner because so a man with the heart of God is better off with a licensed marriage than a common law marriage and not having the heart of God. You see what I mean? 
you have to have the heart of God. You know, women should obey their husbands. But their husbands shouldn't lord it over their wife. The husband should love the wife as Christ loved the church. Christ didn't lord it over the church. He got down and washed their feet. When was the last time he did that? There's a similar word, best bet, which is be it shin, be it tov, uh, without the nun and nun and vav that we see in this word up here when it says, when we sat by. And we see it in Ezekiel 38.14. In, in Ezekiel 38.14, they're talking about Sheba and Dedan and the merchants of Tarshish, which again, this... Ezekiel, you know, this is the guy who could see things far off. And and this part is where he's talking about that. With all young lions thereof shall say unto thee, Art thou come to take a spoil? Hast thou gathered thy company to take a prey? To carry away silver and gold? To take away cattle and goods? To take a great spoil? So this is the question. But in 14 he says, Therefore, son of man, prophesy and say unto Gog. Thus saith the Lord God in that day when my people of Israel dwelleth safely or carelessly, shall thou not know it. So the word sat by is basically translated dwelleth. Here, and it, it's still missing a few letters, but it means more, and we'll see other examples uh, of uh, similar things. Th- this prophetic chapter in Ezekiel 38:14 that that where the the people think they are safe and secure, but are they actually secure or secured? Are they brought into bondage? Because that's where they were in Egypt. They didn't just sit by the flesh pots. They were in bondage to the flesh pots. Because they were in the flesh pots. That the Pharaoh could increase what they owed. Or decrease what they had to fulfill what they owed. And of course we've seen that over the last hundred years. Graduated income tax. When income tax was first created... With the Social Security Act, income tax on general labor of the people who signed up for Social Security. Because before that, it was only corporations and fiduciaries of corporations that were taxed with an income tax. But you had to make $10,000 in order to be taxed with income tax. And your Social Security payment was only like 1.5% or maybe less, one and a third. I'm not sure. I can't remember. But it's less than 2%. Now it's over 14%, at least in America. I don't know what it is in Canada, where Jordan Peterson is. And, and people say, well, it's good that we have this, that we take care of the needy. It's bad that you have this, because you take care of the needy not with love, but with force. You cannot be free as long as you think you can do that. Now, now people, you know, they promise you all kinds of... What is that play here is the same warnings that we see in the New Testament. A promise of liberty, but the creation of bondage. And saying peace and safety 
because we have this new system of Social Security or national insurance, you know, and you get your little SIN card in Canada or your SS card in the United States. Now, I'm not opposing these systems. If you owe the tax, you pay the tax. I'm saying start thinking differently and start filling the gap because that's going to become a gap. They're not going to give you enough to buy all your groceries. They're not going to give you enough, right? Already, they're elderly in Australia when when winter comes. They're in the summertime now. But maybe they have to turn off their air conditioner now. In the wintertime, they're going to have to turn off their heat in order to have enough money to buy their groceries. Because groceries are going to go up and up and up. Because somebody thought it was a good idea to start a war in the Ukraine. Instead of, you know, I just was explaining to somebody that there was no need for a war in the Ukraine. Absolutely no need whatsoever. And if if I was president, I'm sure I could have negotiated a deal where nobody would have ever invaded the Ukraine. But now that it has... The breadbasket of Europe is not going to be making bread. Now, for years, China and a lot of other countries have been storing up grain, but it's not going to be for you. They're going to be hiding in their underground shelters and thinking they're going to survive to the other side, but we already know in the prophecy that they will cry out in those underground shelters because God, God is not on their side. But they don't know that. But they're promising people liberty from your responsibilities. But they're going to deliver you into corruption and bondage. I mean, Peter said that. He warned you of that. In First Peter 2.16, as free and not using your liberty for cloak of maliciousness, but as servants of God... These are wells without water, clouds that are carried with a tempest, to whom the mist of darkness is reserved forever. For when they speak great swelling words of vanity, oh, we're going to have our revival. All these guys are going to have their revival. They're going to elect Trump. That's going to be our salvation. He's going to fix things. He's going to show all these terrible people what's what. Unless he's going to end social welfare through the state, he's not your savior. But I don't expect him to do that. I wouldn't campaign to get him to do that. What I'm campaigning for is that you do that for you and for your neighbor and for all those that you gather with. So you no longer need to depend upon those systems of force because they make the word of God to none effect. Like Jesus said, But people listen to the swelling words and think, oh yeah, we're all singing, we're all emotional, we're all happy, we're ever new revival. We're going to all be saved because we elected Trump. Nothing against Trump. Nothing against Biden. I have nothing but sympathy for those men. And, And I will be the first to agree that Trump in many ways might be better than Biden in his ways. But neither is the way of Christ. And you're coming down to the wire now, folks. You're going to need the ways of Christ. Through much wantonness, through the lust of the flesh, those that were clean escape from bondage, who now live in error, will again return to that bondage. It says in verse 19, While they promised them liberty, they themselves are servants of corruption. 
For of whom a man is overcome, of the same is he brought into bondage. Overcome? Nicolaitans. Overcome by their greed. Overcome by their wantonness. Overcome by their desire and appetite for benefits. Appetite for the dainties of rulers. Those of you who haven't followed along, you know, that... That's from Proverbs. I'm, I'm quoting all these other places in the Bible that your ministers will never quote to you. For when they shall say peace and safety, this is First Thessalonians 5.3, peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with a child and they shall not escape. Galatians 5.1 Stand fast therefore in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free and be not entangled again in the yoke of bondage. How do you get entangled in the yoke of bondage? Covet your neighbor's good. You will become merchandise. Peter just told you that. Galatians 5.13 Now I'm, I'm jumping from 1 to 13 but you can go read the whole thing. For... Brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not your liberty for an occasion of the flesh, but by the love serve one another. In other words, yeah, how many people do I know that want to get out of the system, want to get out of the bondage, get out of their responsibilities to the government, but they don't gather together to take care of one another? They're using their so-called, I use quotes here, liberty as an occasion to their own flesh. They're not serving one another. They're not sacrificing themselves. So they're, they may find their foxhole, they may find their hideout, but God won't be there. He won't even hear your cries. Ezekiel 39.25, now we're jumping back to that Ezekiel, I told you, Ezekiel 38 to 39, full of prophecy. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, now will I bring again the captivity of Jacob and have mercy upon the whole house of Israel and will be jealous for my holy name. But do you really have his holy name in your heart, in your mind? Have you come to sacrifice yourself or to, or are you just trying to get out of your responsibilities? After, I mean, Jordan Peterson should get this because he knows as a, as a fairly decent psychologist you need to take back your responsibilities. I mean his own personal drug use, legal drug use brought him to death's door because a lot of his personal drug use was not taking responsibility. He was taking the drug rather than the responsibility. You know I just talked to somebody about meditation. There are all kinds of meditations. And of course we're going to get into that because Moses is actually talking about a form of meditation, a, a position of the mind that we need to develop in order to cry unto God, a, a, which also requires a position of the soul. And if you don't follow that way, you will again be entangled in the yoke of bondage. As as we saw with Galatians 5.1. Like I said in verse 26, after that they have borne their shame and all the trespasses whereby they have trespassed against me when they dwelt safely, the word there can be carelessly, in their land, dwelt meant in subjugation in their land, and 
none made them afraid, afraid or fear. But, you know, the ignorant man is not afraid. The naive fool is not afraid. You know, well, he is willing to charge in where angels would fear to tread because the angels are no better. But he will go right into the belly of hell. He will take the benefits and think, I can do this. But not without risking the wrath of God, the repercussions of God, the repercussions of the law of nature, because you're coveting your neighbor's goods. When I have brought them again from the people and gathered them out of their enemy's land and am sanctified in them in the sight of many nations, then shall they know that I am God. I am the Lord, their God which caused them to be led into captivity amongst the heathen. Not because he tricked you, but because you abandoned his ways. But I have gathered them unto their own land and have left none of them any more there. Neither will I hide my face any more from them. For I have poured out my spirit upon the house of Israel, said the Lord God. But this is not talking about you. Unless you repent and seek the righteous ways of God. You have to repent and go the other way. If you don't, then what can I say? Anyway, I have more on the page about the this careless dwelling, uh, which is often associated with this captivity and bondage. And it all goes back to the fact that you want to eat of the cauldron of flesh where the people are the flesh. And, and you bite one another. And therefore, that is why you are devoured. It's not because you didn't go to your church on Sunday or you didn't sing the right song. It's because you're not singing the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb. You don't trust in the fact that if you judge, so shall you be judged. If you bite one another, so shall you be devoured. If you covet your neighbor's goods, you will go into bondage. Built in. Automatic. You can't get away from it. The Lord rained bread from heaven, not the Pharaoh, from the flesh pots of his treasury. There was free bread for Israel, but they had to gather it in the desert for generation, for a generation. Out of the land of Egypt, they went into the bondage of Egypt. Uh, I'm quoting here in verse 6. They went out of the land of Egypt. They went into bondage of Egypt because they ate the bread of the Pharaoh. But they had to eat the bread of the Pharaoh because they had thrown their own brother into bondage. They had sold them into slavery. So they themselves went into slavery. But the mechanism was they ate the free bread of Pharaoh. And then a tyrant rose up because... You know, the original pharaoh was keeping from becoming a tyrant, supposedly. But a new pharaoh came that didn't know those ways, and he wanted to become a tyrant. Moses has established why the people went into bondage, but is now showing how to avoid that bondage again. We need to only eat the bread and provisions of God, and not those of Cain and Nimrod, or the dainties from the flesh pots of pharaoh, this includes what was the free bread of Caesar, 
or the Corban of Herod and the Pharisees, or for that matter, we should not eat at the tables of FDR and LBJ. Now, there's dozen link in that paragraph on the page, so you can go read those articles. You should have been, the, those tables should have been for your welfare, but they were actually a snare. And FDR brought you back into bondage. But you can't blame FDR. You guys bellied up to the table to get the free benefits. And now we find so many sons and daughters doing no more ought for their parents. But that was predicted. Peter knew it. Jesus knew it. It's right there in the text. But the people don't want to see it because they're a part of the problem. And this brings us to, in that episode 7, Dennis Prager shares with them, says that he will share with them this basic phrase, uh, that he's found that human nature does not yearn to be free, but to be taken care of. Now, I, I put it a little bit different way. Everybody wants to be free, but nobody wants to be responsible for that freedom. Like I said, eventually, as the system entirely collapses in on itself and destroys itself, like Saul upon his own sword, they will destroy themselves. Like like Pharaoh charging into the, the sea. They will destroy themselves. Like, like guys who take drugs. You know, they will destroy themselves. You, you, you can't stop it unless they change somewhere. Deep down inside themselves. And how do you make that change? Well, God has to make it in you. And one of the ways is that you have to start caring about your neighbor as much as you care about yourself. And your murmurings have to be the murmurings of those who live by faith and say, yeah, I'm not going to murmur against God. I'm going to desire, because God's going to hear you no matter, you can't fake it for God. It doesn't matter what you say. It's not those who say, but those who do it the will of the Father. So when you start caring about one another, it will draw you near God. And so, even though he points that out, he's true. The fallen human nature does not yearn to be free. It is absolutely content to be in bondage if you will take care of me in bondage. But that is not the goal. What people will need to learn and do is to take care of one another in faith, hope, and charity. So, like I said, if you don't deal with the moral issue of legal charity provided at the expense of your neighbor, you will not be free. And the blind will still lead the blind. You know, like we see in Luke 6.39, And he spake a parable unto them. Can the blind lead the blind? Shall they not both fall into a ditch? Or Matthew 23.16, Woe unto them, ye blind guides, which say, Whosoever shall swear by the temple, it is nothing but whosoever shall swear by the gold of the temple, he is a debtor. Ye fools and blind for whether is great the gold of the temple or the sanctifieth 
the gold, or that that sanctifieth the gold. Okay, what is he really talking about here? How how do you bring these ideas together? Swear by the temple, or swear by the gold. What is the job of the temple? The job was of the tabernacle was to serve the tabernacles, the tents of the congregations. Through a, a network of charity. This is the bonds that brought us together. It wasn't that we all put our money in a single golden calf, a, a reserve fund, a golden statue, which we will explain. And, and we do have articles up. You can go read the articles on the golden calf. What it really was. We are, like I mentioned the red heifer before. There is an article already up on the red heifer. So you can understand the red heifer had nothing to do with a cow. Had nothing to do with a heifer. It's not about an animal. Just the same as when I was talking with the atheist on his podcast, which we will share on the network shortly. He brought that up. He says, oh, the Bible even tells people, uh, that, uh, they're not to go up by steps because, you will see their nakedness when they go up, which is, I mean, that's seriously steep steps. <laughs> if you see their naked. So they actually tell them that they have to weave and sew for the Levites breeches, underwear, so that you won't see their nakedness. What the heck is that about? Well, it's not about the underwear. And we explain that. You can go read those deals. But we need to see that the the blind guides who say it's okay to covet your neighbor's goods, to eat the dainties of the king, to uh, develop an appetite for benefits and the habit of receiving them by the rule of force by men who exercise authority one over the other, is all contrary to the teachings of Jesus Christ. But you'll find it in almost every one of the churches and synagogues of the world and and in Islam today as well. Ye are fools, blind guides. When they talk about sanctifieth the gold, what is the sanctifieth the gold? What is the purpose of the temple? It is your system. Of, what is the purpose of religion? What is pure religion? Pure religion is how you take care of the needy of society, the widows and the orphans and needy of society. And it's only pure if it's unspotted by the world. And the word world there is constitutional order or system of government. Why? Because that system of government is the benefactors who exercise authority. Now how do you sanctify gold? You freely give it up. That's what makes it separate. Sanctify means to make it separate. Your gold is separate. You don't own it. I mean, you might have some gold coins now or maybe even bought some gold bullion and you have it stashed away somewhere. If you're still a part of their system of social welfare, and and I don't recommend you leave that system just because you want to own your gold. That's the wrong motivation. (laughs) But if you're still part of that, you don't own that gold. They can come and take it anytime they want. You know, this This is one of the basic things. We have the cases. If you go look up Social Security at Preparing You, we have the cases, the case law. From the day one, Social Security has always been operating in the red. It's not operating in the black. It's never had a surplus. Because you've always owed more. There is no division of funds. In Social Security. No, that has ruled over and over again from the beginning. 
So if there's no division of funds and the United States government is in debt, then the Social Security is not solvent. It's in the red because the United States is in the red and there's no division of funds. Because it's a system of compelled offerings, it isn't sanctified. You can't separate those funds because it's a system under that authority and so therefore, if they could separate those funds, if they had any way of doing that, uh, it they're not burnt offerings. I mean, they're burnt up to you, but they're not burnt up to the government who forced you to give them. So you're still back in the bondage. It's not separate. So whoever owns the United States not only owns any funds there might be because the United States is in debt, but it owns the people. You're the collateral. That's why you're merchandise because of the covetous practices. Now, you know, I, I beat around this, go around this, just go around, lacing in and out like a maze, but I keep coming back to the basic fundamentals over and over again so that you can see what is going on here. The, the altars of God sanctifieth the gift because the altars of God are based on free will offerings that are totally given up to people who are not a part of the world. It's the only way to sanctify it and separate it. It's important that you sanctify and separate it. Uh, use those words together. The idea is separate it. It's the only way. I'm not even going to give you the details, but if you read all the books, which are all free online, you might get it. But you're going to probably need the Holy Spirit to get it. So, woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for ye pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, and have omitted the weightier matters, the weightier matters, what are the weightier matters, of law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought you have done, and not to, and not to leave the other undone. Ye blind guides, which strain at a gnat and swallow a camel. And that camel is, is the, you're all back in the bondage of Egypt. So John 3, 3, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Thee, I said to say unto you, let me read that again. John 3, 3, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth. What else goes where it listeth? The Holy Spirit. And thou thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whether it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. 
if we if we read on to John three nineteen, uh, we will see. And this is the condemnation that light is come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. What are those evil deeds? Coveting your neighbor's goods, oppressing one another with the leaven of the Pharisees, the leaven of uh, Egypt. Because they set up a system of forced contributions. That's what the Pharisees did. They used Herod to do this. And he went right along with it. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light. So everyone who loves the covetous practice of desiring benefits and free stuff at the expense of their neighbor, they hate the light. Neither cometh to the light. Lest his deeds should be reproved. That's why Adam and Eve fled the garden. There was light in the garden. They did not want to see that they were hiding from the truth. Are you hiding from the truth? Will you seek to know your own error? Now, some of you are are, are heavily burdened when you find out that you've been in error all along. I understand that. Be not heavily burdened. Be not fearful. If you see this at all, that's the good news. Now you can do something about it. You can start serving one another. Not for the gain you may get, but you have to be willing to lay down your life because you love your fellow man as much as you love your own life. That will create a nation of heroes. A nation of heroes with God. Leading the way are an invincible force. And you will need an invincible force because the foe cometh cometh on high. But he that doeth the truth cometh to the light that his deeds may be made manifest that they are wrought in God. So that's where we have to go. That's what we have to do. That's where we have to turn around. And uh, and we've got some time to do it, but we don't have any time to waste. So, can we close our eyes to the wages of unrighteousness if we are to be born again? Or do we love darkness? Do we love not knowing the truth? Or shall we murmur against the way of God and His righteousness? So, I also, uh, again talk about this murmuring because I just mentioned that shall we murmur against the ways of God were they murmuring against the ways of God or does Tav Lamad Nun Tav Yad Kof Mem actually have something to do with those people that were among the Israelites who were not murmuring against God but were murmuring with God. They were actually beginning to see the truth. <coughs> so, Tav is a seal of a higher kingdom or a realm through faith and the paradigm, uh, what they call Keter Melkut, the crown of the sovereignty and the tree of life spiritually linking worlds through an unseen doorway of faith. Now I'm quoting something that 
I always define the word tov with. That's what I put in here is that that templated definition. Because the tov can mean a couple of different things on where it shows up. It can have all kinds of references even in the syntax of Hebrew. But it's the crown of sovereignty from the tree of life, not from the tree of knowledge. And with two tovs in that word put in there, I I can only suspect that, and this is what I'm seeing more and more as I'm going through the details and looking at the Hebrew, is that that is why they hear the prayers of some of the Israelites. They didn't hear everybody's prayer. But they heard the prayers of some because they actually... We're dealing with this paradigm of Kitir Melkut. This realm of faith. This trust in God. I mean, certainly Moses' parents making this basket and sealing it with pitch. They went out and did that. That was crazy. What are they thinking? That was insane. Except it wasn't. Something was guiding that they had to be exceptional, exceptional people. They were led to do that. How did they know who was going to find them? How did they know that she was going to adopt Moses? How did they know that Moses was going to become the heir of the throne and set the people free? They knew something. I don't think they knew all the details. I don't know. I didn't meet them. I never asked them. We don't know hardly anything about them. Except they did something that was a tremendous act of faith. And unbelievable things came about. When Moses saw the light out on the desert, and he said, I will not turn away from this. He was drawn towards that for a reason. But that wasn't something that just happened one time. His whole life was making these choices. He was drawn towards righteousness and turned his back on unrighteousness. Gave up comfort for a season so that other people might be saved. This is the Tav. This is the Tav of Abraham. And in some of the Israelites, that Tav existed and God heard their prayers. So, the other thing that shows up there is a Yad. Yad Kaf Mim. And uh, the Kaf is the crown. Yad is the infinite spark. And the Mim is this fountain of water. It's actually flowing. And Nun, when you sometimes see Nun, that's not only is the fountain of water or fountain of life or the, is flowing, but the fish is swimming in that flow. They're, they're, you're, you're moving according to that flow. And so these are conceptual ideas. And those of you who think in pictures, this may help you. Those of you who just think in literal words, it, it's, this may not mean much to you, but this is, this is, I'm sharing what, what I see and others see. Uh, unfortunately not enough see it. <laughs> I shouldn't say not enough. There is enough that sees it. But, uh, hopefully more will see it. So Mo- Moses is telling the people how to come near before the Lord. That God hears your prayers. That's what, so you want God to hear your prayers. We know according to 1 Samuel 8, that seeking a king or a ruler over you will bring heavy tax burdens where taskmasters will oppress with cruelty and with the leaven of Egypt and the leaven of the Pharisees, which 
should not be within the borders of your nation and in your community. And this is this is what they're talking about. I mean, Catherine Austin Fitz is, knows all the stuff about banking and everything like that, and she saw the corruption and she's trying to make sense of it. But she says if you want to invest in stocks, you need to invest <laughs> in your local butcher shop uh, or your local ranchers and help them out, help them survive, and they may help you survive. That is a better investment than the stock market. Because the stock market's going to crash. Absolutely, totally, absolutely crash. I'm not telling you to get out of the stock market. I don't know when it's going to crash. I want you to get into what God wants you to do, but make sure it's the real God. See, this is one of the problems with a lot of people go to church and religion and everything. They think being born again is some sort of an emotional experience. And they, they identify the emotion with the spirit. Spirit is not emotion. Emotion is produced, we have whole shows explaining how this works. There's lots of people who know. Emotions are chemical changes in your body. Even the atheist that I was interviewing, he knows that I heard him say, I don't know if he said it when we were talking, but I heard him say it with other people. Why Why does it have to go to spirit? Why do you have to go to spirit? Well, he, he grew up in like a holy roller, charismatic church where going to church and believing was not an option. It was a requirement. And it kind of turned them off to that emotionalized, the, the spiritual nature connected to the emotion. It turned them off to that. And that, rightly so, because the spirit is not a product of emotion. Emotion can be a product of ideas and thinking and music and all kinds of things. But that's not the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is what told him there's something wrong with this church. That was the Holy Spirit. That told him that. Unfortunately, because he was told that that was the Holy Spirit, that was that emotion. When he threw out the emotion, he threw out the idea of the Holy Spirit. I I don't know if anybody's ever talked to him that, yeah, you're right. Emotion is not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is something that lets you know that emotion is not the Holy Spirit. (laughs) It's just a knowing. It's an inner knowing. Now, we talked on the show, is that, can you test for that? Well, yeah, there are ways to test for it. But if you if it passes the test, if I prove it with the test, doesn't mean you believe in it. It means you believe in the test. Now, the Spirit that giveth life, it's, it doesn't require you to give a test. I have seen it operate in ways that that are not just... Uh, it cannot be considered anything but miraculous. I mean, detailed. Is this is that see the future, and it manifests right in front of you. What you saw that was coming in in detail. Other things I see and I follow them, and it turns out you say, well, it could be just coincidence, but there's a preponderance of the evidence that would get me to believe this. But I know that if I believe by the signs and wonders, it's still not belief. Belief in the Spirit is only in the Spirit. It's not in the brain. It's not in the emotions. If I am a charismatic speaker and speak and get everybody worked up and everybody believes and we have our altar call, nobody believes. They believe in the emotion. They haven't met the Spirit. 
Well, maybe they have. Everybody has a little bit. But they don't know it. They can't recognize it. So we need to, to repent and learn differently. So if the masses and their priests, the men who in charge of their system of social welfare, forget the ways of pure religion, which is to take care of the needy through real charity instead of legal charity, and seek the wages of unrighteousness, which are the benefits provided by men who exercise authority one over the other, and follow after public religion with all its force, fealty, and covetous practices, and are greedy for gain, they will become human resources and curse children. We need to know that the dainties of rulers are deceitful meats. And I have a link there so you can go read that. The gathering and sharing of the manna for 40 years would set patterns in their society and create the social bonds according to the perfect law of liberty that they would need to go into that land. Everybody didn't get it. And those who did get it got it to lesser or greater degrees. Eventually they forgot it and they wanted to have a king. And they got the king and then they didn't want to have the king anymore. (laughs) Some of them. Some of them still wanted a king and divided the kingdom of God which had no king. There was no king in the kingdom of God, but God in the hearts of every elder, which we will get into as we go through this more. But I've gone an hour and a half now, I think, almost. I'll end up cutting this down some. But we got through Exodus 16. And to understand that the people were beginning to think differently. And there was a system set up with the help of God, through the grace of God, through the pillar of fire and the pillar of smoke, through the manna that showed up every six days every week, through quail that came in and provided them with extra meat. Now, some of the places, you know, like them and they're going to get their water, we'll see this. They go out and he's supposed to hold this stick up and hit the rock and all this kind of stuff. But the pillar had to go out first. And then he was to bring the elders and they would see. And somehow or other the pillar was instrumental in this water coming up. And, you know, I, I, now I've looked at the archaeological discoveries and, and, and the things that they found and I can't say that they're all accurate because you don't believe by signs and wonders. But it does appear that water flowed in the desert in certain areas downhill from a source that gave lots and lots of water, that spread out on the plains. Lots and lots of water. In a desert climate, they could probably plant crops, grow those crops, and then when they moved on, uh, they would move on. But they they set up, and we'll talk about it when we get there, the altars of stone. And uh, Jordan Peterson and them talked about the altars of stone and uncut stone and polished stone. And they're fumbling around trying to figure out what these altars are and what they mean and people are saying I can tell you what they mean now you don't have to believe me because I got hundreds of footnotes and show you where I get it and you tell me but ultimately I don't want you to believe by all the work that I've done over the last half century I want you to believe because God starts writing in your heart your 
your mind. And you're drawing near God. And I tell you, the only way to do that is the way that Christ said to do it. Which happens to be the same way that Moses was telling you. Sit down in those tens, hundreds, and thousands. Gather in the congregations. Because they're already calling them congregations. The people, Ida. Congregation of the children of Israel. And, you know, children of those who contend with God. People always think like wrestle with God. But they, they're really wrestling with their own unbelief. But they're, they're asking the question. They're having the conversation with God. Some of them. Some of them just say, you talk to God, Moses, and then you tell us what to do. We'll see that too. I want you to talk to God. And I want God to hear you. And if God's going to hear you, you have to hear the cries of your neighbor. You have to care about other people as much as you care about yourself. And then God will hear you. And then maybe you'll hear God if your prayers are according to the will of God, according to right reason. And you're not just trying to save yourself, but save others. But anyway, we'll return to Exodus 17 next time on Keys of the Kingdom. Until then, peace on your house. And may God be with you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.